Hey, I'm Eric Nocher, and if you want to know how some of the most innovative European tech founders and B2B marketers are scaling their business, then this is the show for you. Now sit back and enjoy. One of the biggest, latest learnings for me and my team, especially on the sales side, was how to sell. Like, I've I found a person that is doing sales training, and we've done sales training for for many years, like trying to perfect our technique and so on. But this person, and I'm going to say his name because it's it's completely worth it. Hey, everyone. Today, we have Mihai Dardesan on the show, founder of a visual software development environment in the cloud. And he's also the CEO of another successful company here in Bucharest. We get into discussions about productivity, sales, and having to pivot multiple times in order to find the right path. Let's dive right in. Mihai, pleasure to have you. Innovators can laugh. How are you doing today? Pleasure to be here, Eric. I'm great. Enjoying the cold weather here with the rain. I haven't been outside today. Normally, I take my kids every morning to school, but this morning my wife took them. So uh, I guess I'll experience it this afternoon when I go pick them up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you should. It's a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm going to read a little bit about your history so that way the audience get an understanding uh, about your background. So you're an engineer, but you also have experience as a business analyst and software developer. You are the CEO of Ringhill, which is a suite of applications for the management of energy and gas in supply trading, production and balancing. And for almost four years, you've been managing another company, sort of like another business unit called Processio, which is a visual software development environment in the cloud using low-code, low-code, and full-code to deliver value businesses by removing repetitive annual work and automating business processes. Nihai, you seem like a pretty busy guy. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, I would say so, especially lately. Yeah, I am. All right, well, let's start up. Where did you grow up and what did you want to be as a kid? I grew up in Nikovulcha, which is a city near the mountainside. Basically, people say that is the city where Karajale, for those who know, used to um, go and take his stories from and wrote uh, or a lost letter. And I wanted to become a doctor when I was little, like. I wanted to become a heart surgeon, very specifically. And what was one of the first entrepreneurial things you ever did as a kid or a young person? I think that the first one was I wanted, I didn't do it. I wanted to create calendars and have my mother sell those calendars in the market. <laughs> Wait a minute, you weren't going to sell them? You were going to have your mom sell them? Yeah, exactly. That was the idea. And probably that's why it didn't work. I, I didn't manage to convince her <laughs> to do it. Offer <laughs> to pay her a commission at least? Yeah, from what she sold, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Or on the calendars, there's drawings that you made or, or, or what? No, actually, I planned to create the calendars in Excel and print them and sell them like with some uh, with some nice pictures of seasons each each season with their own picture and each month with their own specific picture okay okay never heard about anyone making a calendar in excel but you know why why not you can almost do anything nowadays yeah yeah you can <laughs> okay what is the best advice your mom or dad ever gave you whoa tough one they they always uh, gave me advices like, don't do that. <laughs> or 
or uh, you shouldn't behave that way. I, I think uh, that um, there's no one specific advice that uh, comes through my mind at this point, but uh, um, the the combination of all those advices, I think, um, allowed me to be to have a very powerful work ethic. Ethic and 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 I think that's that's that those are the sets of advices that I would consider to be the most valuable. Now now that I was I was thinking about it, actually one came to mind. My father is not an advice; is something that he used to say a lot. Like he said it like this: instead of being a poor engineer, you should rather be a very good worker. <laughs> okay. Okay. And uh, last question we get into, into Procesio here. What's something interesting about you that most people don't know? They're not going to see this on your LinkedIn profile, oh, Mihai. The most interesting. Yeah, I think it's also related to my work ethic. Like if, if I cannot be smarter than other people and outthink them in, in terms of, okay, let's do this. How do we do this? Like not, not to, to pretend to be smarter, but to, to actually think better. If I can't do that, I will outwork them, right? So this is something that you do not see on my on my uh, LinkedIn profile. But I think that people that are close to me know that. Okay, so managing two different business units, units, how many hours per week do you would you estimate that you work? I haven't counted them, but I would say a lot. Uh, and lately, I'm actually trying to reduce those numbers and also to be more strict related to the time that I allocate to myself and for myself and for my family. And for that reason, I'm trying to to lower the number of working hours that I uh, do and try to be as focused as possible when I actually do work. So I wouldn't say that currently I'm doing crazy hours. Probably I have like a, a bit longer schedule than, than most people. Uh, I would say that like probably nine to 10 hours a day. And I try not to work in weekends anymore. <laughs> My wife was telling me this weekend, like she has most weekends, like you got your laptop open again. You know, why are you, why do you work on the weekends? And I, for people who've never uh, tried to be an entrepreneur, it's very hard for them to understand uh, why entrepreneurs tend to work all the time, especially on weekends. But my response to her was the same as always. You love what you do. It's not really work. Exactly. Exactly. But at the same time, what it happens is that you want to do as much work as you can because you're an entrepreneur. But as you get tired, you will be less productive. So uh, there's a tipping point where the work that you do actually doesn't help you and doesn't help anybody. So you would rather sit and rest than actually do that work because you will not be productive. Yeah. Do you ever use time blocks? I, I tend to do maximum, usually like 45 minute increments. So I'll work on a task or something and I'll put a, a countdown on my phone and I'll say, okay, for 45 minutes, I'm just going to be focused on this one thing. I'm, uh, I'm not using it like that. Actually, yes, I have my schedule in my calendar so that everybody in the company can know if they need something from me, they can book me. Unfortunately for them currently, this period of, of year, mostly everything is booked and the, the time increments are not fixed. And dependent on the type of job that I need to do, it can range from half an hour up to two, three hours. Uh, especially when I need to be in deep focus, I have a, a longer period of time because I also sometimes code in this period of time. And probably the listeners know that uh, once you get into the zone, it, it first of all, it requires you around 
30 minutes to get into the, the productive zone, to get focus and to basically load all the information within your brain so that you can actually be productive. And if you get interrupted, it will even, even for two seconds by somebody, it will take you another 30 minutes to get into the zone back again. Yeah. No, I understand. I love, I actually love early mornings, five to 7 a.m. because it's complete quiet. No meetings, no interruptions. The kids aren't awake yet. And that's actually when I get my best work done, 5 to 7 a.m. Do you have like, is there a certain time of day that you get a lot of your deep work done? Yeah. Yeah. I learned to do my deep work anytime I have a free time and I have a space dedicated to that. And I can focus like really, really good regardless, but I need to to have quiet around me. But Similar to what you said, I have a reading period that uh, I'm, I'm best focused at. So when, when I read the book, I would rather read it in the morning. Or if not in the morning, I would rather read it outside in the park or somewhere where, where I can relax. And I cannot get distracted easily. Let's talk a little bit about your Processio. And what inspired you to start it? And how did the initial idea evolve into what it is today? Yeah. yeah. So what inspired it, what inspired me to create Processio was actually business needs. With the power and gas uh, business, once we expanded to Serbia, we realized that we need to configure stuff instead of writing code, right? And as, as we had this realization, then we started to look for ways of financing this, this uh, approach for us to achieve internally. So at that point, we didn't realize that this might be actually a commercial product, but it would, in our minds, was this is a product for us to help us grow faster, right? So that that what it was. And as we worked towards uh, financing this internal solution for us, uh, we worked with fund consultants. And at that point, I started to learn a lot about no-code, low-code, about the fact that there's a market, about the fact that there's a need, that there's a gap in the market. And that's how the, the idea of creating a commercial product that can bridge this gap came. And it took me and my team around two years from the initial idea. And the initial idea was that this is a tool for us up to the, the idea that this should be a commercial product. So two years took us. And once we set the goal that we should create a commercial product, the vision was that it should be a platform where you can build software, period, any type of software. And that's what we are building towards with Processio. We are building it towards becoming a software product building kit. Okay. But you mentioned that you're now in Serbia, so you have customers in both Romania and Serbia. Now, can you give us like a, a, I guess, a little bit of a case story about a satisfied customer? What is it that they really liked about the product? And uh, what was the use case they used it for? Yeah, the the client in Serbia was for the power and gas. And meanwhile, probably, you know, there were some energy uh market price problems throughout Europe and that client bankrupt. So we lost that client. Meanwhile, he didn't use Processio, but he could have if he still was our client. But we have clients in, in many cl- countries for, for Processio. We have client, one client, for example, that's a very good, uh, interesting uh, use case is a client from New York. They are using Processio to extract data from bank statements, one million bank statements 
per year. So the use case there is that they are doing debt relief services. Basically, clients that try to refinance their debts need to uh, they need to look at their bank statements and to identify recurring payments, payments for other creditors, stuff like that. And we extract all those informations uh, from bank statements, regardless of the bank, and then structure the data, calculate it, and then pass it to our client. That's one one example. But I have many. Like if do if you have the time, we can speak only about that. I'm Another impressed. client. Yeah, I'm yeah, impressed yeah. that within two years you you were at clients in many different countries. What were some things that you did to to scale and to grow? Uh, we banged our heads against the wall a lot. That's what we did. So I think that's part of the process. You need to to bang your head against the wall. What we've de- done was that we've iterated a lot. We've made a lot of assumptions and went validating those assumptions. Like, for example, our initial assumption was that the client, that our ideal client is the software development company, which is not. They are the users. They are the potential users. Then we thought that there's the integrating company, which again, they're not. Now we found that they are the ideal partner profile, but not the ideal customer profile and so on, right? So, and Every conversations that every conversation that we had with uh, potential clients, we tried to understand their pain points, to extract as many information as possible, and to overlap with our existing capabilities to see if we can solve anything for them. And then we've tried to sell Processio to those clients, and some bought. Some didn't. For the ones that they bought, uh, we tried after we implemented the solution. We try to see if we can find other clients like those that they have the same problem that we can offer the same solution and so on. So it was a iterative process that allowed us to find our clients, to improve our product and to understand which is our place in this market and how how should we grow? In terms of the team behind Processio, is this was was this an entirely a new team or did you take some members of the Green Hill business unit and bring them over to try and grow Processio? Uh, it was an entire new team, right? So we've because because the power and gas division, the Ringel existing team was already busy with the power and gas software suite that we have. So we needed to employ new people, right? So the first uh, person that I had to pitch was Marianne, which is basically the co-founder of Processio and the deputy CEO of Processio. And he's the first one. And then he recruited other people. And that's how we've built the team. Basically, even though it's the same company, it's under the same roof. They are two different teams and they act like they are two different companies. Like one of the, the most, the hardest thing for, for me was to actually make them work together. Like when we had common projects, the processor team was like the Jeffy because Jeffy is the name of the power and gas product. Jeffy should do this. Jeffy team was like processor should do this. Like they did, they, they, they were completely separate. Now they are friends, but still they, they are separate. <laughs> so what were some of the things that you did to get them collaborating and build that camaraderie between the different uh, two teams? There are different things that uh, we've done, not just me. The first thing that we've done was we've done some parties together. The second thing was that the Marianne, the deputy CEO of Processio and Relu, 
which is the deputy CEO of the power and gas division, are participating and are knowing each other and are working together. And that translated and went out to every member of the team to a certain degree, obviously. They, they are still focused on, on their own activities. But the fact that Relu and Marianne took part of all the common activities, that helped a lot. And, and that mindset went through to the team. Okay, okay. Let's take a quick break. All right, let's take a quick break. What's that? That's innovation. And innovation can be fun when you find a new way to attract your target audience and grow leads. With B2B Pod Pros, my B2B Podcast Media Network, we get your brand featured alongside industry reputable B2B podcasters. With B2B Pod Pros, we grow awareness for your brand. We also drive high quality traffic to your website. Learn more and see how we can help your brand at b2bpodpros.com. Okay, back to the show. What are you excited about most in the next 12 months for uh, Presentio? Yeah. Oh, sales. <laughs> There's a lot of sales. Uh, that's, that's why I'm busy currently, very busy because we're doing a lot of sales. And we're pushing to, to triple uh, next year as well. So wow. What's the forecast for 2024 in terms of revenue? So this year we're going to close with uh, 600,000 euros in sales. Keep in mind, we started selling only last year in July and next year we're hoping to cross 1.5 million in uh, sales. All right. Very, very exciting. Very exciting. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Now, every startup and, and new business has its series of highs and lows. Was the low banging your head against the wall or were there any other big obstacles to get in your way from getting the kind of growth that you've guys achieved so far? The hardest part was, yeah, I would say banging the, the head against the wall and not because we were banging, but because we didn't see anything like it was complete dark. It was like dense fog, like Imagine when you open the light in the fog and as the light is brighter, you see less, right? So that's how we felt. Like we thought that we knew the road and then it wasn't there. That was not the road. And after 10 pivoting and iterations and, and so on, then you, you start to think, okay, what now? Now where? Where should we go now? Right. So the, I would say the frustration was the, the biggest low. Uh, and the fact that the frustration of actually invalidating everything, because before you validate, you have a lot of invalidation, uh, that, that you're doing is the frustration that you haven't found yet something valid. That's the biggest low. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like pivoting is something that you learned from growing a couple of tech companies. Any other big learnings, Mian? Yeah, uh, I think there are big learnings in every small detail. Um, and I think there are not, and, and, and myself included, uh, people are not valuing enough the small details, like from every team member, like how do you recruit? How do you keep them motivated? How do you manage to pay them? Uh, up to the product, how do you build the product? What are the features? How do you prioritize? How do you sell? What do you say to your clients, to your prospects, and so on? And I would say one of the biggest, latest learnings for me and my team, especially on the sales side, was 
how to sell. Like I've, I found a person that is doing sales training and we've done sales training for, for many years, like trying to perfect our technique and so on. But this person, and I'm going to say his name because it's, it's completely worth it. Matt Woolock. Matt Woolock, Excelus. So 100% behind this, this man, like what he teaches is completely game changing. At least it was for us and, and not just for us. Like the way you demo, like, and, and that's how he, he sold us. Like, for example, in his demo process, he convinced me directly from the demo call from the sales call that I should buy from him. And the techniques that he used, I didn't understand them at that point. But what I felt was that I need to buy from him. And he teaches the same techniques on how do you make your prospects need to buy from you. Not want, but need to buy from you from the demo call directly. And I would say that's the the deepest and the most powerful thing that I've learned lately. And obviously that has uh, a lot of impact within our business. Okay. I wrote his thing down, Matt Wallach, and I'm going to look him up because I am very interested in, in his services now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You should definitely contact him. And also one, one cool stuff that he's doing, and also it's part of his technique, he has behind him like a board of the flags of the people that he's working with. And I've put the Romanian flag there. <laughs> you know, speaking of flags and small details, I it's so funny you said that because in the very beginning on my podcast art cover for each episode, I thought it was a great idea to put the country flag of where the guest was from because I interviewed people from Lithuania, Hungary, Romania, all over Europe. And I thought, oh, this is great. And I showed it to somebody and... They, their feedback was, oh, wow, when I saw that flag, I understood that, oh, the podcast is actually in Romanian, Romanian yeah. language. And so they weren't even going to bother listening to it because they just assumed that it wasn't in English. And that little detail, right? It said so much, something I never even thought of. So yeah, completely agree with you. It helps to get a lot of eyeballs on certain things because you just things that you, you, you had no idea that you just assumed that they weren't going to cause any friction or any confusion. But some little things too. Yeah, yeah, I can I can confirm that uh, I've felt that multiple times. Like things that I didn't accredited any importance to had the most importance. Like the the that was the reason that multiple things change or do yeah. not change. Yeah, and especially if you're a a, a country that's looking to go into uh, another country, another language. So many Romanian companies go into Poland, Hungary. You went into Serbia. It really helps to get a native, you know, person who speaks that language to go over all of your communication. Because I've seen so many times where Romanian companies, they're trying to go into the U.S. market and I'll read an email or see something on their website. And guys, I'm like, yeah, you know, this, this does make sense. This is the translation, but to the native speaker, it actually resonates differently. And this is how I would word it. So that's, that's another something I've learned from being here in Romania for years working with startups here. Let's get into the rapid fire, Mihai. I'm pretty excited about this. You're going to fill in blank uh, for a few questions here. The first one is the Academy Award for blank goes to Mihai. The Academy Award for? Words. <laughs> That's a work? Okay. Okay. Next one for you. Blank is a contest or game I have won. Can you repeat that? Blank is a contest or a game 
I have won. I have no idea how to fill that. I don't feel that I'm, I, I'm, I won any contest, but okay. work. I would put the work as well. <laughs> okay, next one, next one. Blank is crazy thing I did in college. Party. Okay. Okay. All right. Next one. Blank is an unusual food or drink I like. Liver. <laughs> okay. I'm laughing because my wife likes liver. I do not like liver. We need it. And she's trying to give it to the kids. And secretly, I'm hoping they take it and they throw it on the floor. But my son <laughs> likes it. So I'm like, oh, my God. Now I've got two people in the house that like liver. This is awful. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, it, it can be fantastic, but also it can be awful depending on how you prepare it. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, last one for you. Instead of stock options and bonuses, you now give new hires blank. Hope. For the future. Hope for the future. Yeah. Okay. All right, Mihai, thanks so much for being on Innovators Care Lab. Where can people learn more about you, Mihai? Uh, look me up on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. All right, we'll do. I'll include Mihai's LinkedIn on the show notes along with the website for processio.com. Everybody, I will be back next week with another exciting European startup founder. Uh, Mihai, thanks for coming on to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Eric, for having me. My pleasure. Hey there, I want to thank you for listening to the show. If you are new here, I interview European startup founders and ask them to share their best strategies when it comes to scaling their business. I had a great time chatting with Mihai. He's got a lot on his plate for having to manage two different companies plus a family. I enjoyed his thoughts on deep work, getting two different groups to work together and his overall passion for learning, like the sales training and experience he had with Matt Wallach who he mentioned. I was actually a guest on Matt's podcast a while ago, and although the name rang a bell, I had actually forgotten about it. Anyway, if you enjoy this, hit that subscribe button, tell others about it. I'd appreciate it. This is Eric signing off. Hey, you can find out who's coming on the show every week when you sign up for our newsletter at innovatorscanlaugh.substack.com. Also, if you're not following me already, you can find me on LinkedIn at Eric Melkor, and I post a lot of fun stuff there, what's happening in my world, as well as in the podcasting B2B world. All right, see you there.